All right, what's up, everybody? Hey, it's been a week for sure. Uh, busy week as we've been releasing uh, over these days some teaching around stewardship, finances, and generosity. So for the few of you that have been listening in and just taking time to walk through this with us, well done. Thanks. Thanks for being on the ride and on this journey with us. Um, we just really felt like this was a great opportunity for us to share some things around money because Jesus talks about money a lot and it's a deep, deep part of our lives as humans. And there's this call as Jesus followers to use this really well. And so just to prep you, you know, this you may just be flipping this one on. There are some other teachings that have preceded this, one being our Sunday gathering last Sunday. We had a panel of people from our community do a fantastic job sharing about finances, stewardship. They're all financial planners, just giving some nuggets of just knowledge and wisdom for us in helping us with our stuff and our money and what we can do, especially in things like saving and debt and looking to the future and how we can live this out. I always think, man, if we could live for many of us that are younger, uh, though we're all getting old for sure, older at least, that if we could do certain things in the first half of life, what we could live like in the second half to be just this conduit of generosity. That's one of, our, at least my family, that's our family's dream is that in some ways we could set ourselves up so that in the second half of life, we could be incredibly generous. Anyways, we had a great panel. Then on Tuesday, we shared a teaching from Randy Alcorn called The Treasure Principle, probably hands down some of the best teaching I've heard on stewardship and generosity. Then yesterday, we just took a few minutes to talk about the question, should I tithe as a Christian? And broke tithing down and what that is. And ultimately, we came to the conclusion that we're not under law to do that, but it is something, it is a practice that does make sense. And so you're not, there's no compulsion to do that, but we should all think through how we're stewarding our stuff. And one of the things with tithing is just, it seems like now as kind of New Testament, New Covenant people, though we don't throw out the Old Testament, as people who are now in this New Covenant, um, it seems like the New Covenant always kind of went farther when it came to self-sacrifice and giving and loving. And I would say the same with stewardship. So we had a great time talking about that yesterday. And I just want to conclude this week just with a few nuggets around nuggets. There's the word of the day. I don't know why we're using it. It's, it nugget is kind of an odd word. I'm just going to put it out there. Anyways, I want to share a few things just uh, that I think will help us because one of the things you see in the scriptures is that when it comes to a generous life and being a generous people, it seems like when the spirit is at work within a church community, generosity is a big part of what is happening. You know, we want to talk about tangible things that the Holy Spirit does and that God and that the tangible things that God does within the church. And it just seems like generosity is one of those things. In the Sermon on the Mount, there are three core practices that Jesus talks about in the life of a disciple of Jesus. They're all found in Matthew chapter 6. He starts with prayer, talks about prayer. He talks about fasting, Jesus does. And then Jesus talks about generosity. And I think actually these are the three core practices. Obviously, there's way more spiritual practices than just those three. But these are very important practices. And Jesus says this about generosity. He says this, Matthew 6, uh, verse 2. He says, so when you give to the needy, so there's an expectation that disciples and apprentices of Jesus will give of their stuff and their resource. When you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets, right? 
as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So this is the kind of life. As apprentices, we're called into this life where our right hand doesn't even really know what our left hand is doing. There's such a free-flowing reality in our lives of generosity that, again, we're these conduits that give to the needy and are open-handed and are open our lives really this if you could sum it up as a disciple our lives being open to those around us interesting jesus says don't announce it with trumpets like the hypocrites but do this and just let it be the ebb and the flow of your life as you follow me Now, when the spirit breaks out, after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit is going to come and empower the church to be this community throughout the world that would reflect his love and light. It's kind of interesting that Jesus was kind of bound to being at one place at one time, and and it was probably hard for the disciples to figure this out in their minds and hearts at first, that it was probably, and it is, better that Jesus go because where he's going to give the church his spirit and his spirit would his sorry his church would be spread all throughout the world so Jesus was confined to one place at one time now the church is everywhere having the same spirit of Jesus uh, to live in the world and one of the things that happens when the spirit kind of is poured out is you see some things happen in the church and i just want to just quickly give three case studies to show you and to show us as a community what happens when the Spirit's at work. Um, Three case studies. If that's too many, you can turn it off. Here's the beauty of a free society, and this is all on audio. You can just turn it off. You can flip to the Dan Patrick Show or to whatever your other favorite podcast is. But I just want to give you a few case studies of a, a few churches in the New Testament that live this out. One, the church at Pentecost. In Acts 2, which is obviously, there's a ton of emphasis around Acts 2 and the birth of the church. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their, and this is what they did. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. And then every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord, of course, added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this community, part of what the Spirit was doing within them, the Spirit had come to empower them. And one of the things that happened was the immediacy to sell property and possessions to give to those who were in need. Generosity, open hearts, meeting in homes. We know that the early church communities met primarily in homes. You get a picture here of the earliest church meeting in the temple courts. But generosity was part of this ethos. This What the Spirit was doing was building them as generous people to sell stuff, to open up their lives, to make sure that nobody within the Jesus community was in need. Case study number one, the Church of Pentecost. Case study number two, the Church in Antioch. I was reading a book a while ago, and I got really, uh, I was going to say turned on. I don't know if that's the appropriate word, but I got kind of excited about this church 
in Antioch because it's easy just to read through Acts as a kind of a long narrative, and that there's a I mean that's beautiful, but when you hone down on this particular church in Acts or in Antioch, sorry, and um, so there's been some other people that have just written about this a little bit about some of the things that were happening in this church. It's quite phenomenal because if you read in Acts 11 and Acts 13, you read about the church in Antioch. And what's crazy about this group in Antioch was that they were cultivating things and practices in their community that opened them up to the Holy Spirit's activity. And we had to think through this a little bit because some of us, I know people that want a move of God really bad. They want God to come, save people. They want revival. And here's the thing, I want all of those things too. But the church in Antioch is a real model of people that were doing things and practicing things that cultivated the ground for God to do an incredible thing all through the ancient Mesopotamian world. And you see it here. There are a few things that these people were really doing well. And then then what you see is that the Spirit comes, empowers Paul and Barnabas to go out and start planting churches everywhere. And so Antioch is important. Here's what they were doing. One, they were intense learners. So you actually read in Acts 11, I think it is, that for a whole year, Saul and Barnabas taught them. For a whole year, they were committing themselves to the scriptures. It doesn't just happen. So so many people want just a move from God. But here's the thing. What's really unique about these people is they were intense learners, diving into the scriptures, consuming the scriptures, learning about the way of Jesus, learning about the story of Israel so that, that the story of Jesus makes sense. They were on fire for the Bible, for the scriptures, and learning and growing in that. They were also, though, too, they practiced communal disciplines. You actually read in these passages. We don't have time to read it today. Well, you're probably like, yeah, you do have time. It's a podcast, but... We're not going to read it. You can go ahead and read it on your own time. In Acts 11 and 13, they were committed to service and serving each other. They were committed to fasting and and they committed as a community to prayer. So they were intense learners. They practiced these communal practices. And then three, they were generous. This group in Antioch was a generous people. So there's this, the story goes, this guy named Agabus, and there's a baby name if you need one. Just, you know, if you're having a child in the next little while, Agabus, there, top of the list right there. This guy named Agabus comes and he declares basically a famine where, you know, agricultural society, things are going to dry up, the lack of food, famine is coming, and famine had come. And he came to this church in Antioch, and it says in verse 30 that they gave as each one was able. They gave to help others through this famine. And I love the picture we get in the language as each one was able. No compulsion. And, you know, we talked about tithing yesterday, but I think the bigger picture is it's way bigger than this. All of our stuff is God's and we use it at his disposal. And here's a picture of exactly that. As each one was able, um, you know, not necessarily cashing in stocks or bonds, not necessarily going into debt, but just as they could, as a community, were super generous and were able to give to their brothers and sisters through this time. And these practices, generosity being a big one, led this church to be a staple in the ancient Mesopotamian and for these leaders then to go out and do some ridiculous things. Really, the church in Antioch, if you look at it, was really one of the gateways to where Paul would then take the gospel to the rest of the Greco-Roman Empire. How crazy is that? 
And this church needs to be uh, just in front of us in the reality that our practices matter and what we do matters. We're not just like saved here just to like try and punch our ticket to heaven when we die. There's things that we're cultivating in our community on purpose because we believe as well it opens up to a move of God. These things, not that it's like we've got to do this so God will do this, but it's not like a give and get thing, but there is this sense that when a church practices stuff, it's ready, it's ready. And this is what it was like in Antioch. So you have the church in Pent- at Pentecost, obviously generous people. The church in Antioch, these people that were very well practiced. The third case study is this, case study three, is the Macedonian churches that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. So, sorry, 2 Corinthians, he talks about them. So, um, Paul plants a church in the city called Corinth, a really influential church in the Greco-Roman world. And there's all sorts of problems because there's never problems in church, right? I always just think as soon as you're there, there'll probably be problems. And this is the beauty of the church and people is yes, we work for unity and we do all these things. But at the end of the day, humans are broken, even if we're under the rule and reign of Jesus. And Paul, just like our church uh, was dealing with a jacked up church in Corinth and obviously he didn't have FaceTime or he couldn't beam himself in through technology and the technology of the day in that day was to write. And so he is writing back and forth with the church in Corinth about some issues in the church. And we just, we actually get it in our Bibles now. It's like our mail now, which is kind of crazy to think that this conversation now is inspired scripture in our Bibles. And what we learn is that Paul writes a few letters. We get 1 Corinthians. There's probably a letter in between, some scholars think. And then you get 2 Corinthians, which which was probably his third letter, which is kind of mind-bending, maybe, maybe not. And in this, Paul actually gives an example to the church in Corinth of these Macedonian churches. He's sharing with them basically his own case study of some churches in this region that were doing some pretty incredible things. Second Corinthians six, he says this, and now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. What? Yeah. Verse three, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able And even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. As they exceeded our expectations, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Verse 7, but since you excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, See that you see that you excel also in this grace of giving. This is incredible. So just as Agabus came to Antioch about a famine, Paul comes to the Corinthians, and one of the things he's had to do throughout his ministry is take up a offering for the church in Jerusalem. And you're like, what? It wasn't the church in Jerusalem like the where it all started and it seemed like where all the Jewish people were and where there would have been at least a Greco at least a Judeo kind of worldview that could push people to Jesus. Isn't that where the strength and the power was within the church in Jerusalem? Well, this is where it started. But uh, the church in Jerusalem was in need and Paul is raising funds for the church in Jerusalem where it all started. And Paul now is giving an example of these Macedonians, these churches 
in Macedonia that were incredibly generous. And here's the thing. Paul says, verse 2, they were experiencing severe trials and extreme poverty. (laughs) And yet they were still generous. I mean, this is insane. I don't usually put severe trials and extreme poverty with generosity. Um, I even look at my own life. Typically, I need to be comfortable to do any sort of act of generosity. These people lived in severe trials. Verse three says they gave as each one was able. Is this not a theme in the new Testament? They gave as each one to each to their own ability. I love that. And, um, no, I love the fact that it's just an invitation and this is what we want to be at Praxis. No, like coercion, no trying to shake people's pockets, no trying to give like the offering message and then like pass the buckets out of guilt. None of that. No, like two or three offerings in a morning or whatever. Just, just an invitation to give out of one's own ability. I love that. Paul also says of this group that they wanted to participate. So they urgently pleaded with Paul that when they heard of the need that they wanted to participate, may it be so of us that we're a community that when we hear of the need, and I know there's all sorts of need everywhere in the world that we would want to participate. And then Paul says, they exceeded my expectations. So this community that didn't have a lot, uh, you know, again, the words severe trials and extreme poverty, they had trials over their own. They blew Paul's expectations, verse five. How cool is that? So this community, what a case story, a case study of just a people who was outwardly generous and that was a sign of the Spirit's work within them. And so I'll put it like this. When the Spirit works in a church, the response in a community is generosity. It just is. This is how it works. And two, what distinguished the early church and the early churches, and even as you get beyond the Bible and into the first few centuries of the church, it's crazy that this little group went from these like the subversive groups in these little cities to absolutely being the dominant religion in the empire. And I know Constantine, and if you look back in some books, you'll read that there were a number of factors as to why the church became so mainstream by like the third century. But I would say one of the reasons is this, the early church distinguished themselves from the rest of the world with what they did with their bodies so what they did with their bodies was so different to the over-sexualized sex in worship culture of the Greco-Roman Empire. So it dist- they were distinguished by what they did with their bodies and then what they did with their money. They were generous people that put it all on the line and took care of the orphan and the widow and those in need and those who weren't citizens and those who were left to the margins And they brought people into their gatherings and they opened up the table and said, anybody is welcome. This crazy move of God was distinguished by what this community did with their bodies and how different it was and what they did with their finances. You can read about this through a guy named Rodney Stark. I think his book is called The Rise of Christianity. And he just basically tracks this and how the church grew to what it did in the first few centuries and why it did that. And what a challenge for us. I think these are three beautiful case studies of how we're called to reorient our lives around the kingdom of God. And there is a rival God at hand, and it is mammon. The only rival God that Jesus puts out there by name, which is money and the love of money. And we have to continue to be a community that practices our way into being generous. Why do we have to practice our way into it? 
because it's like golfing. It's not natural. Generous for most of us, maybe there's some that, you know, are prone to being generous right away, but for most of us, and I'll put myself in this us, I need to practice because it is one of the most unnatural things in my life. And so guys, as a community, if you're part of Praxis, we are very, very committed to living generously, but there's one thing we don't talk about a lot when it comes to generosity. I think it becomes an ideal we think about and we hear these beautiful stories both in the scriptures and outside the scriptures and we want to be these kinds of people, but here's what I think it's going to take. Generosity is always connected to simplicity. And some of us need to hear this, that we need to be drawn into a simple life. And as we're drawn into simplicity and making decisions in how we spend and how we live, it opens up the door to generosity. These two things I'm convinced actually work together. We need to live simply so we can live generously. And that should be a challenge to us. I know for our family, it's um, it's led us to really evaluate what we put our money into. And that means like not putting our money into other things, like giving things up. And it can be painful. But to live generously, we've been learning over these last number of years that we have to live. We have to live simply to open the reality of this up. And I'll just say this. And one of the things we wanted to say as a church is we're committed to this as a church. So I'll often hear people say, so when are you going to be a real church? And what they mean is, yeah, people actually say this. Isn't awesome? What people often mean by this is when are you going to get a building? When are you going to get big budgets? When are you going to have a staff? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? And we are just very committed as a church community to living simply so that we can live generously. I just want to talk to the people that are a part of our community here, our local community here. Um, We are setting this thing up with the hope and desire to be a very, very generous community because we don't have a lot of overhead costs on our end. Certainly as we grow, we have kids to reach and gatherings that we gather and we do things. I mean, even our youth community is going away to a big trip in a couple of weeks. We have all these things, but really we are trying our best. And we've done, I think in our first year here, a, a good job at really thinking through how we can live simply as a church. If we're going to ask community uh, households in our community to live simply, then on a church level, and sometimes churches struggle with this, Oftentimes for a lot of people, vision is connected to money. So if I have a big vision, I've got to spend lots of money. And we've, we have an incredibly big vision. We have a huge vision to practice the way of Jesus together as a community. But we also want to live simply so that we can be generous. And there are, I just, I just know for our future, there are doors that I believe are going to open because we've been able to live simply as a community. And so we want to call our our families and the people that participate and practice and play and are a part of our community to do that. But we also want to make that commitment uh, on a church end. And uh, we're really endeavoring together to be able to to live and work and do ministry in a certain way so that we can be generous. So we've been able to see that in some of our outreaches this year and some of the things that we've done. And as we look to the future, we're looking even further to what God could do within us. And I'm just telling you, man, generosity is a sign of of the spirit. This isn't to try and shake, again, anybody's pockets. I'm not, nobody's asking for money at all. It's just to get us all to think in deep ways about how we steward our stuff and how we steward our lives. And um, the, the future is bright. I just feel it. I believe it. We believe it as a community. 
uh, that in missions, in local church planting, in some things that we do as a community to reach out. We think of the poor and the marginalized and the people in our city. We are a church that basically is right where a few neighborhoods collide. We have one of the best, you know, what was known or rated as one of the best neighborhoods in Canada a few years ago, right near our church gathering. And then we have our, our brothers and sisters and friends who are living at the Salvation Army right across the street from our gathering and many living on the margins. It's like where a number of worlds collide and could we be this community where there's so many people worked of different uh, stripes, different backgrounds, different realities, different cultures coming to worship together. Man, my prayer is that as we live in generosity, we can continue to cultivate that. So that's all I got. It's been a long week, hasn't it? If you've listened to all these, I think you got your money's worth. And you're, you know, we don't charge for these. So there you go. Anyways, if you have questions, we're going to continue to cultivate. I use that word a lot. I know we're going to continue to see this series move further from redemption to recycling. We're going to continue this coming weekend as we talk about sex. Yes. In church, we're actually going to do something that a lot of people don't want to do. We're going to talk about sex. Hopefully you can join us. If you have questions, feel free to uh, reach out with questions at hello at mypraxis.church or just go to our website, mypraxis.church slash questions, and you can even submit some anonymously. You can give all sorts of hate mail there if you want, because we've been talking about money all week. All right, we'll talk to you guys soon. Grace and peace.